The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. It's Dr. Zudi Jasser, your friendly, your faithful American Muslim patriot, week to week, who brings you those issues that few will cover, that the mainstream media wants to ignore because it just doesn't fit their little checkbox of using us Muslims as a identity politic. And week to week, I bring you those issues that uh, few will cover. And you and I together will start to navigate the road of making America more secure, of understanding who our friends and who our allies are on Reform This. Yeah, Reform what we talk about here. Every week, I bring you a few subjects that I think I think need reform. I think should be covered. I think should be at the forefront, the head of the spear of the issues that we need to cover. You know, a few months ago, we were all elated at the nomination of Senator Sam Brownback, Governor Sam Brownback, to the position of Ambassador for International Religious Freedom. And, you know, listen, I I served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. They do an unbelievable amount of good work. And it's one of those few places in Washington that I do not believe is part of the swamp. I do not believe in any way that the commission, it has its politics, it has its partisan wrangling. Uh, back and forth, uh, issues that uh, uh, try to bring in the swamp, try to bring in the uh, uh, partisan rancor into uh, the commission. And those internal workings uh, are fascinating in and of themselves. By the end of the day, it's supposed to be a commission that focuses on how to advance, not necessarily always just the interests of the United States, but that the interests of the United States are directly wedded to the universal Declaration of Human Rights, and especially national security being wedded to the advancement of religious liberty. That when religious liberty is advanced, and where democracy issues are advanced, especially with that first freedom, that ultimately those countries will become essentially more stable, and that they will become closer allies to America, and the world will ultimately become safer. The ambassador for religious freedom was then developed as a position that would be an appointed position by the president, his ambassador, to also advocate for that, but to balance this independent, congressionally mandated commission that provided a report to Congress every year about which countries, which countries should be listed as countries of CPC or countries of particular concern. And there's also a a lower tier or second tier countries that are on their way to becoming CPC countries. And according to the statute, CPC countries then are supposed to have sanctions, are supposed to have certain pressures that are put upon them legally that then push them to correct all of the items that we list in our report on religious freedom. The relationship between the ambassador and the U.S. Commission are very significant. And Ambassador Brownback, through his leadership, through his history, I think was to be a very good ambassador. And, and he just started. 
he gave his first speech last weekend. I have to tell you, unfortunately, and you know, we can't blame him. He was a few days on the job, but his first photo op was embracing, embracing Sheikh bin Bayet. And and I've talked to you about Sheikh bin Bayet before. This guy was a was heralded as the moderate imam, as the imam brought in by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf by all of the anti-terror, anti-Al-Qaeda folks, that somehow this guy was going to lead. He led this Amman declaration, which we can talk about uh, later if you wish. But bottom line is, yes, there's a lot of platitudes, a lot of, certainly he's much closer to the center than the militants, the Islamists, uh, 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 violent terrorists. But Sheikh bin Bayat comes from Mauritania. We had released a press release about him back in 2013. And Senator Brownback this week decided, right after he got sworn in, in his official speech, first official speech as ambassador, as PJ Media reported, he embraced a hardline, what they call a hardline cleric. Now, I, I think his ideas are pretty radical. I think he's clearly an Islamist. He is no friend of the United States. And he's an ideological antagonist based upon his Islamist proclivities. And I guess that would make him hard line. But his his words, his condemnations of terrorists, etc. make it a little difficult to just call him hard line. I think we have to educate Americans and educate Governor Brownback, our ambassador on religious freedom, that this is no guy, this is no man, no cleric that we should be embracing, and that the holdovers of relationships from the State Department of the Obama administration should be reset, should not just be continued carte blanche. And, you know, all it would have needed was a Google search. All he could have, if you Google Sheikh bin Bayah, B-A-Y-Y-A-H, Sheikh bin Bayah, America, democracy, religious freedom, and you will find one of them is our press release that we released back in 2013 at the dismay when Bin Bayat was invited into the White House, when then the media reaction happened and the Obama administration went into overdrive to try to rehabilitate the Sheikh's image. And the bottom line is, is that uh, the interactions with Bin Bayat have continued. Why? Because the CVE program, and you and I have talked about why, how the central pin of reform will have to come from the shift of CVE to CVI, because CVE is all about countering violent extremism. And if all you're talking about is extremism, the Bin Bayaz of the world are natural allies because they condemn Al-Qaeda. They say they don't have a moral authority. They wear the long beards, the long robes, and they come and give you uh, quotations from Hadith and from Quran and have this authority that this is not Islam and that we will take back the mantle of Islam to the mantle of the religion of peace. But the Sheikh Bin Bayaz of the world are not moderate reformers. They are not those who are going to reform the ideas of Islamism. Long before the militancy, the precursor supremacism of Islamism is about caliphism. The precursor supremacism of Islamism is about Islamic collectivism, is about anti-Islamism. 
that should be our policies. Anti-Islamism is how we determine who our friends are, but unfortunately the Islamists are about creating Islamic State identities where Muslims are a majority. It's about creating a, a Sharia state, putting into place Sharia law. And I'm not just making this stuff up. Let's look at what Bin Bayah has said. He said in a 2004 fatwa, he authorized the killing of Americans in Iraq and endorsed the Iraqi resistance. Oh, I guess he couldn't even use his 70-plus-year-old brain at the time to, to balance what was the condition of the Iraqis under Saddam Hussein, one of the most ruthless dictators of the 20th century. That now they needed a resistance to put back into place Saddam Hussein. The 2004 fatwa was issued by the International Union of Muslim Scholars. Bin Bayat was serving as its vice president. And by the way, who is one of Bin Bayat's closest allies? A man who was prohibited from coming to the United States. Sheikh Yusuf Kordawi, one of the leading ideological spiritual leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology. Kordawi has a show on Al Jazeera that's followed by 60 million plus every week called Sharia and Life. Kordawi's website, followed by millions upon millions, is basically one of the central points of access of the global cancer of the Muslim Brotherhood ideology and global Islamism. So, to say that the Holocaust-denying, conspiratorial thinking Kordawi and his sidekick, who's of basically the same age, Bin Bayat is somehow a moral guy who's from Mauritania and very different than the Egyptian cleric Yusuf Kordawi, who they sit together in Qatar all the time, and they sat together in this International Union of Muslim Scholars and came up with their fatwa about America being the enemy in 2004. And then even when we raised this, and it was raised by multiple media in 2014 to the Obama administration, they then thought a response of a simple link of a quote from Bin Bayat rejecting Al-Qaeda was enough. And it wasn't. Then they deleted that tweet and apologized for promoting his work. They apologized. The State Department apologized for promoting Bin Bayat and said that the White House meeting should not have happened. That's the Obama administration. And now the swamp in the State Department decides that the new ambassador for religious freedom, Governor Brownback, would be served by beginning his tenure embracing Bin Bayat. Ambassador Brownback, if you're listening, please contact Muslim reformers. Reach out to the Muslim reform movement. We will help you discern who to speak to and who not to. We will help you discern... Now, Again, this is not about left or right. We'll give you liberals, we'll give you conservatives, we'll give you those who share our values, and those who may be of any political stripe, but they need to share our universal values and human rights. They need to reject Islamism. They need to reject Caliphism. They need to reject Hamas. They need to believe that the Jewish state of Israel has a right to exist. Something that Bin Bayat has spoken out against. The International Union of uh, Muslim Scholars in February 2012 
met a senior Hamas leader, Ismail Haniyeh. He was welcomed as a new member. And yet Trump State Department designated Haniyeh global terrorist just last week. So the left hand doesn't know that the right hand still sunken in the swamp. And I'm talking about the global swamp. And this is one of the problems is that President Trump ran on somebody who was going to drain the swamp. But yet globally, when he's embracing and building new terror cent- counter-terror centers in Riyadh and elsewhere, and where Tillerson is, Secretary Tillerson is talking about working with Qatar, and we don't see a, a walling off of Qatar like should happen because of their deep connection to the Muslim Brotherhood ideology, you worry that the global swamp still has significant influence. When we come back, let's look further at exactly what Bin Bayah has done, what his history is, and why his marginalization and his exclusion from the ambassador's meetings and launch should have been a no-brainer. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Reaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Hey, stupid, don't eat this freaking laundry detergent. I... Hey, D-bag, this is laundry detergent. Don't put it in your mouth. Seriously? (laughs) It's thinning of the herd. If you're above the age of eight and you put a Tide Pod in your mouth, you're a moron. And it's thinning of the herd. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Thank you for joining me week to week. If you're new, I hope you're finding a conversation about reform, about modern Islam, modernity, a view of criticism of uh, various clerics that claim to be our leaders that you just don't find elsewhere. This humble American Muslim correspondent who I believe can help bring about some critical thinking, can bring about some change and begin to bring coalitions together of thought leaders like our Muslim reform movement that reject Islamism. This week we saw the brand newly minted ambassador on religious freedom, uh, Governor Brownback, Ambassador Brownback now, start unbelievably by embracing Sheikh bin Bayat. Sheikh bin Bayat. I told you I wanted to talk to you about some of the segments of what he has said, some of the things that should have made it a no-brainer. In a 2010 interview, Bin Bayat, any Google search would have found this, in describing Palestinian terrorism, said that, quote, it is their right to resist, and that such violence was in line with Sharia. Uh, a moderate? In line with Sharia? Terrorism against people in restaurants and and non-combatants is this guy's moderate Sharia? I take it back. He he is a hardliner. This guy's he might say wonderful things on little declarations he might sign, but in 2010 he sounded like a Hamas terrorist. In 2011 he posted in Arabic on his own site. 
criticizing Western governments for lumping Palestinian terror groups like Hamas and Islamic Jihad with Al-Qaeda. He said, we should make distinctions between those with valid causes, like the Palestinians that are fighting resistance, versus Al-Qaeda, which are just grotesque groups. This is our ally? He's a radicalizer. That's how American Muslims are radicalized. And that's why you have sermons that in the last two months, we, I talked to you last week about, about sermons that were anti-Semitic, flagrantly anti-Semitic, reciting jihadi hadith interpretations that called for the death of Jews because President Trump declared Jerusalem the capital of Israel, which it is, and said we were just going to move our embassy there. And then, one of the great things of this moderate Sheikh bin Bayat is that he will, has openly endorsed, and this is why I don't care what declarations he signs, this is why I don't believe any American Muslim should work with this guy. He wants to unite the idea of Islam under one banner, one ruler and a caliphate as the only Quranic model. He called for a unified army to fight Islam's wars. I kid you not. So this guy's form of moderation is somehow that, and this might be a shortcut that many in the State Department or elsewhere want, want to employ, because, well, if we have a guy who's anti-Al-Qaeda, anti-ISIS, can help us, it becomes a lot easier to shortcut and say, oh, this has not been Islam because the Pope of Islam, bin Bayat, says that this is okay. And the Zaytuna Institute, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, loves him and hugs him and calls him his teacher and grovels before his knees, etc. So therefore, he must be somebody we should love since the Catholic convert come Muslim has a, a, a supposedly speaks Arabic fluently, doesn't have an accent, and he appears to be an Americanized Muslim. I'm sorry. It's about ideas. What are Bin Bayat's ideas? And he has never, he has never, and as Pajamas Media points out, PJ Media points out, he has never recanted his role with the Islamic Union of, of, of Muslim scholars. None of these fatwas, none of these rulings on the Palestinian radicals and militants. He has never recanted his position on the caliphate. He has never recanted his position on Hamas. These are important. Let's look at September 2012, Benghazi, which was a huge we lost an ambassador there. So Ambassador Brownback, one of your previous col now colleagues, Ambassador Stevens was killed. We know the whole controversy politically after what happened with, with Secretary Clinton, etc., and what she did or did not do. And at the time, Bin Bayak called for Western governments to outlaw speech criticizing religions. So he endorsed the view that if the attacks that killed four Americans, as PJ Media says, were not justified, they were a reasonable expected response to a provocation of an anti-Islam video. And the Clinton State Department pushed that same thing and then tried to draw it back after they flooded themselves with idiocy on the Sunday morning shows. And yet he still continued to become a darling. And what's scary, this is the part that's scary that I think Americans need to understand. It's not just one embrace that Governor Brownback, now Ambassador Brownback, may be able to walk back. 
There then was a press release on Bin Bayat's site that he culminated the interfaith meeting that this Marrakesh declaration that has a lot of good elements to it, but is no end of Islamism. It's no end of the caliphate concept. is no end of global jihad. It's simply putting lipstick on this pig. This supremacist interpretation that's trying to moderate itself, which you can't do. It's like moderating Nazism. Political Islam... Theocratic Islam needs to be defeated the way theocracy was defeated in Europe. Real, humble fundamentals of Christianity came out when you got the separation of church and state. And you had the American, French, and other Western revolutions against tyranny of of the church. So now it appears that Bin Bayat was going to sign a Washington declaration in support of religious minorities in the Muslim world and that this somehow is a, a, a great is a great achievement that the defense of religious minorities it is a huge advance the Saudis probably had to be dragged screaming and kicking in order to sign a defense of the Shia minorities of the of the uh, um, uh, other minorities, the Baha'is in Iran and others, to tell these vicious supremacist dictators that you have to give religious freedom to minorities. The problem is, though, and this is one of the things I tried to do on the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, was remind them that one of the greatest minorities of any population is the minority voices within the majority. So if you're a Sunni in Syria's majority... The entire majority now is being slaughtered by the Assad regime because of the minority voices that were both against Islamism and against the Assad regime. If you're a reforming Sunni in Iraq, you're being slaughtered by Saddam Hussein. If you're a reforming Sunni anti-Wahhabi in Saudi Arabia, you're being slaughtered by the Saudi government, put in jail, tortured, or kicked out. That's a minority that Bin Bayat ignores, that those declarations ignore. We pigeonhole groups into identity groups. And yes, many of those identity groups don't get any rights right now and they need to be defended. But unless you fix the primary cancer, and that primary cancer is political Islam and Islamism, this Washington Declaration that now is being signed, and you can see it on Bin Bayah's website, and apparently now our State Department has endorsed this, which I, I think is, is not only a band-aid, but is misleading. And, you know, there's a lot of good people that uh, um, work in the State Department. I, I got to know many of them when I was on the commission, and they want to see real freedom come. I think that their goals are too low sometimes. They have this bigotry of low expectations when it comes to dealing with Muslims across the planet, especially in Saudi Arabia, Iran, and, and elsewhere. But that bigotry of low expectations needs to end. And I'll tell you, the, the key is The key is, is you can't be deceived if these were small advances. That might be, you might make an argument. But I am here to tell you that bin bayas of the world are, are just notorious for doublespeak. They say one thing in Arabic and then something else to their Muslim populations, to the non-Muslim populations in English and then to the Muslim populations 
about the need for an Islamic State. He's a native of Mauritania, Ibn Bayas served as the head of Sharia affairs, as well as the judge at the High Court of the Islamic Republic. The Mauritanian government endorsed slavery, which Bayat was a part of. He denied the existence of slavery in the country and has yet to make a statement against the slavery that he participated in. Ben Bayat championed, championed by groups across the country, including the Zamasite of North America and Muhammad Majid, its leader, to meet with Ben Bayat and Mauritania. And as I mentioned, Sheikh Yusuf from uh, Zaytuna Institute under the guise of promoting minority rights in the Muslim world, they've never recanted all of the problem, problematic edicts, fatwas, beliefs, associations, etc. They all are still out there. What's their opinion on the AKP of Turkey? What's their opinion on Wahhabism as an ideology? They may reject that. But the ideological underpinnings cannot be found in their work to do that. Their defensive minorities might begin to ebb that away, but it doesn't change the core belief. So, Ambassador Brownback, look into this. Please start afresh. Start working with Muslim reformers. Abandon Islamists, have their Islamism be an obstacle, a firewall against embracing them, regardless of what they say about minority rights. These are not governments. Bin Bayat does not belong to a government that we have to embrace. He was a leader in the Mauritanian government, which I think should also color his, his resume in a way that would have made him not fit for the job. But... It amazes me that this bigotry of low expectations continues. Oh, it's just a Muslim guy. You know, he's condemning ISIS and and, and Al-Qaeda and others. So therefore, let's just work with him. Because at least short term, we'll get to the right spot. We'll work with the, the nonviolent Taliban, the nonviolent Islamists. Those guys are just ultimately on their way to radicalization. And Bin Bayat's core anti-Semitism anti-Zionism, anti-Americanism is a cancer that cannot be part of the solution. It's not part of the solution. So if you believe in universal values, as we criticize in the press release I put out in 2013, Bin Bayat is part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I think there's a lot to learn about what happened in Washington on just the first week of the new, and I think an ambassador for religious freedom that's going to do a lot of great work. He has the foundations of someone who really understands America, has has dedicated himself to public service, and I hope he starts focusing on reformers rather than Islamists. This is Zudi Jassin on Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. A lot to talk about every week, you know, whether it's in the 
theological interfaith world uh, and the world of military operations against ISIS, whether it's in uh, the Arab awakening, uh, foreign policy, uh, domestic issues. Uh, in the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to be talking to you about the situation in schools with some of the influence of curricula. That's a, that's a huge issue that we should be talking about, and I will talk to you about that soon. Um, so many fronts, but I think sometimes it's important you learn from people that our leaders embrace, and that's why I spent a little time today talking about Sheikh bin Bayat. Look up his work. You'll see a lot of good stuff there that appears to be like be like scratching your head. Why did Dr. Jasser go after this guy? He's really sticks his head out and is hated by the Wahhabis, is hated by uh, a lot of folks. You know, he seemed to be, this is a guy we'd want to work with. Well, you know, just because one mafia family that appears to be more moderate is not as extreme as another mafia family doesn't mean that we should embrace the mafia. The Islamist mafia is part of, it can be very different, diverse. Some of them are more extreme than others. But Bin Bayah is not one of those people we should embrace. So, I think it's important also to look at the business world. What are the business leaders? What is your chambers of commerce locally, nationally doing to to help you know, so many grants are given to local communities in the Faith Charities Networks, etc., through businesses. What is the status of Muslim organizations and their embrace? If you look at some of the foundations, uh, huge foundations, one of the largest in the country, Silicon Valley Foundation, has been giving money to the Council on American Islamic Relations. Why is that? Uh, and when they're when they're criticized about that, they they when the Middle East Forum criticized them, they responded not by not by looking into the Council on American Islamic Relations connection to Hamas and ideological sympathies and silence about uh, about so many issues related to Islamism, but no, they responded by retorting to the Middle East Forum about their work, which is absurd. Respond to the issue. But the reason I brought that up is the business world. Where What is the business world doing in embracing Muslims? Macy's this week decided to launch a clothing line aimed at Muslim shoppers. This was inspired, it seems, by the Muslim fencer who became one of the faces of the Olympics because of the hijab she wore, because of what it meant to American Muslims on the world stage and Ibtihaj Muhammad had a number of specials about her and became one of the poster childs of the American Olympic team. She almost was the person carrying out the torch until they finally realized that she hadn't even won a gold medal yet, hadn't even participated yet. And it would be a little over the top in identity politics to have her do that. And I think ultimately Michael Phelps did it, <laughs> or maybe it was somebody else. But I think the important thing here is this week, Macy's is launching a woman's clothing line aimed at Muslim shoppers. That was the news headlines a few days ago. The department store chain says, and this is according to the AP, it teamed up with a boutique called Verona Collection and plans to sell the collection of modest dresses, tops, 
cardigans, hijabs online. The clothing will launch on February 15. The brand was developed by Lisa Vogel, a graduate of Macy's Minority and Women-Owned Business Development Program, which aims to offer more fashion diversity. Fashion diversity! And Macy's lauded itself as being the first U.S. major store to sell hijabs. It joins other, you know, somebody needs to break it to them that a hijab is a scarf. It just gets wrapped around the head to cover the hair. But anyway, it joins the other brands offering products aimed at Muslims. Nike had launched a high-performance hijab last year made for athletics. Now, that makes sense. Those are hard to find, and it's good that Nike got into that. And Mattel announced plans for a doll model after Abdihaj Muhammad, an American fencer that competed at the Olympics while wearing a hijab. Now listen, I am not anti-hijab. I believe it should be a woman's choice, a woman's freedom to decide to wear it or not wear it. The issue is, is Macy's is not doing this necessarily now. What is the conversation happening in the boardrooms of the Macy's of the world here in America? If the conversation is simply about profit, I'd like to I'd like to see those numbers that Muslims are going to buy that much that it make a difference to Macy's. But if that's true, that's good. But it's also being done by the head of their minority and women-owned business development program. So if it's about diversity, look at the juxtaposition. The juxtaposition in today's world is in Iran across the planet. Demonstration after demonstration was happening in January, and some of it is still happening. In the religiously dominated cities, which is most of them, but especially in Qom and some of the seats of Islamic supremacism, Islamist Khomeinism, you had women taking off their scarves and burning them and saying, my government should not care about what's around my head, but should care about what's in my head. They were chanting that as they walked down the street. That should be the Me Too hashtag. That's what we should be hearing from Hollywood, from corporate America, from across the country. We should be hearing them defend the religious rights, the individual secular rights of women in Iran and Saudi Arabia to speak out, to be individuals, reject theocratic law, Sharia law, that forces them to wear the hijab or not. So if Macy's really believes in diversity... Then where are the Muslim where are the Muslim representatives in their panoply of advertisements that show the different types of ideas? I mean, do they realize what percent of Muslim women wear the hijab? It's not a majority. It's barely a plurality. So if you really want to be diverse, they're taking the most orthodox segment of American Muslims global Muslims and saying that's Islam because it's around their head and they can be seen. What's inside doesn't matter because then they become difficult to discern as identity politic Muslims. A. B. If Ibtihaj Muhammad was one of the inspirations of this and God bless her for the courage and strength to wear the hijab and she believes in this, this is fine. We can debate as to whether that's uh, mandated. I personally don't believe it's mandated in the Quran uh, and the Hadith that talks about it. Uh, we can talk about the authenticity of it, etc. Um, but bottom line is, is we don't even know what. There's a debate about what hijab means. But anyway, what about Delilah Muhammad? How many people know who that is? Delilah Muhammad won a gold medal 
Ibtihaj Muhammad did not win a gold medal. Dalila Muhammad was an American Muslim track star who went to the same Olympics, won a gold medal, and has not gotten 1% of the media coverage because she's not the one wearing her Muslim identity on her sleeve. And do we think that she turned down a Macy's offer to be in advertisements for some of the more revealing race wear that she might wear? Why not? That's the diversity in Islam. So if Macy's really cares about diversities and women empowerment, etc., which is the division that's doing that, the hijab is not the place you start with that. Actually, right now, the hijab, for the most part, yes, it's a personal choice in America, but in almost every Muslim country, it is, if not mandated by the government, tribally, it is then connected to a very patriarchal, often abusive, domestic environment in which women are inferior. They're third and fourth class citizens. They're not allowed to drive. They can't work. They don't have property rights. They get half a vote of a man. They get a quarter of the inheritance. On and on and on. And that runs from the same interpretations of 12th century interpretations of Sharia from many of these same clerics. So, the bigotry of low expectations is legion in the programs that do this. I think Macy's more power to them. I'm not saying they should take this off their shelves. But if they're going to implement, if they are going to implement a diversity program and a women's empowerment program, it better include, obviously, Muslim women that don't wear the hijab, that have other identifications that, that they embrace as individual rights and not just some that are related to conservatism or fundamentalism within Islam. And I say this as a conservative. I believe in conservative dress and many of the things that they're trying to sell. I think that that is part of equal rights, is not uh, going down the slippery slope of physical exploitation of women and culture. But that's my personal belief. The far bigger the far bigger crime against humanity is the men walking around with sticks that hit ladies in their ankles if their skirts are too high in Iran or Saudi Arabia or elsewhere. Or, or the pathological hypersexuality of, of men who stare down women because the culture is so oppressed that they are so fixated on the concealment of women's bodies that they become obsessed by it to the point in which they commit acts of FGM across the Muslim world. It's decreased quite a bit, but there are millions of affected women that have procedures done to them as young girls, one, three, seven, nine years old, in which their genitals are mutilated because it's felt that they are born hypersexual. And if you think that's not related to a discussion of the hijab, to a discussion of women's rights, then you are really part of the problem. So Macy's, if you want to make money on orthodoxy, more power to you. But please, don't let that become the definition of American Muslim women. Broaden your definition to include diverse ideas, Muslim women liberated Muslim women, uh, to 
uh, uh, those that are really part of the solution, part of the diversity, really, really believe in diversity, not just that monolithic Islamist diversity that is all about letting Muslims become that hijab-wearing woman in the picture among other Americans. There are other Muslims within our community that don't always wear hijab, that are just as diverse, just as thoughtful, just as religious principally and by character, by moral character, as women who choose to wear the hijab. So broaden your horizons, live up to the diversity. And I think the rest of America should learn something from Macy's, that we Muslims need to be held up to the same standards as the rest of society. This is Zudi Jasser. We'll be right back on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at Glenn Beck. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. I always enjoy talking to you, always enjoy being with you. I hope. you get that nutrition for the soul and understand uh, where we are in our national security, where we are, and I think the most important conflict of the century, which is what will happen to the ideology that encompasses the consciousness of Muslims around the planet, a quarter of the world's population. If we as Muslims can't come to terms with modernity, I think that not only will the revolutions continue in, interminably in the Middle East, but but eventually the Islamists will have to be dealt with. And what do we do? What's the plan? What's the, what's the strategy? And I think it's a long-term battle. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that each one of us, if we understand what we're up against, just like in the Cold War, we finally heralded the resources of our government, media, to, to understand that the American Communist Party is... They have rights as citizens, etc., but they're not allies in figuring out a strategy against the Soviet communists because they drink from the same trough. So ultimately, that's not to say that in any way McCarthy was right on any of his points other than the fact that communism was a threat. But the American communists were not allies. American Islamists are not allies. And I hope here at this program you realize that American patriotism American security, a belief in American constitutional republic and who we are is going to be bolstered, strengthened by not only understanding our enemies better, but understanding who we are. And we are a constitutional republic based in an immigrant population that ultimately I believe, is the best system of government on the planet. It allowed me to be more Muslim, more independently Muslim than any Muslims I know that live in other countries, in the Middle East, and especially Muslim-majority countries. 
because their form of Islam was dictated to them. Mine, you can call it, some people call it the, the, the uh, buffet Muslim <laughs> that uh, picks and chooses what he wants or she wants. But ultimately, I think that's how reform starts is you interpret things in a way, some metaphorically, some literally, and other things you relegate to the personal, private life and others uh, to more overriding modern principles. And these are the discussions we have to have. And I hope here you continue to give me the latitude to have them so that we can leave a legacy together of, I think, the biggest gift of America from its own Judeo-Christian tradition is an understanding of how to come to terms with modernity and reject theocracy while embracing the best of your religion. And I think Islam can be pushed into that by Muslims that separate mosque and state. There's a subject this week that I, I wanted to touch on. I, initially, I thought maybe I shouldn't give it more oxygen because, you know, this discussion of a parade and and how much attention we should give to a president who rightfully has seen a country ignore, marginalize, not give our military the due respect that it should at times, which was... I believe one of the unfortunate, most unfortunate legacies of the Obama administration, which was not only a rejection of America's role in the world, but a rejection of the importance of American military might, not always to be done at the end of a barrel, but our simple presence of peace through strength, as Reagan used to call it, our simple presence I don't believe the Obama administration felt was a positive influence in the world. It seemed like he was apologetic. It seemed that he was, uh, in many ways, not while he if called out on it. He, he professed, uh, I believe, what he felt to be a respect for our military. But I think in his personal actions, in his statements, in his speeches, it was more apologetics that felt that we should simply stay on our shores. He pulled us out of Iraq completely and now handed it over to Iran. He pulled us almost completely out of Afghanistan, but then realized that the losses had exponentially increased, so kept some forces there. On and on. And who can blame a president now, that President Trump, who has had to deal with uh, protests in sports, uh, an area of the of our country that should be free of politics, that should be about who can score the most between two teams that are competing on a battlefield of sports, on the football field, on the basketball court, whatever it might be, not about political ideology in Congress across the aisle, but across the court, across the field. And yet, into that came not only politics, but the one point in which we unify together the national anthem, it became politicized. And about how often, if we look at times in football in which our troops are remembered, it is often during the national anthem. You saw in the Super Bowl the flag that was draped across the field as she sang the national anthem, as Pink sang the national anthem. That was about our troops respecting them. So who can blame a president that goes to Paris, goes to France, sees their Bastille Day, and sh 
in which they have for since the 1800s recognized the importance of their free military and had a show of force as part of their history. So the president says, wow, we need to do that. Why doesn't America have parades? Well, I have to tell you, and I think this is important just so you know who I am. My family escaped military persecution, uh, political persecution in, in Syria. People were mandated to join the military. The military is the most evil, genocidal, tyrannical force in the planet in Syria. Uh, no different than North Korea's or any other tyranny that we've seen in the 20th century. And we've seen this borne out in the response, their response to the revolution. We knew this. The revolution may have started kinetically to be observed in 2011, but there have been massacres in Syria since the Ba'ath took over in 1963. And even in the 40s, when they, had a, uh, they tried democracy for three or four years, there were 20, 25 different bloodless coups that happened simply by tanks rolling through the streets simply by tanks rolling through the streets. Now, the comparisons, inevitably, if you start talking comparisons and somebody talks about a parade in America, they, you say, oh, they roll the eyes, you can't compare it to that. Well, listen, no, you can't. There's no doubt that our military, the American military, is the most moral fighting force on the planet. I served my 11 years because I understood that it was that military that protected our civilian government, our civilian population, that gave me the freedoms to be able to make this podcast, to grow up in a small town in Wisconsin, to have family that built a mosque that celebrated their freedom of speech, their freedom of expression, their freedom of religion, freedom to bear arms, all the freedoms of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and our Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is what it means to be an American to me, and our military protects that. And listen, parades on the return from a war? I'm all for it. Celebrate our military and the courage they have. The courage they have, that lost generation. Veterans Day? Memorial Day? D-Day? Any recognition of known wars and battles, parades make sense. But if you're talking about a random day in which the commander-in-chief decides to have a parade and just show a uh, force. And there's parades in which men and women in our military walk down the streets. And then there's shows of force in which you have tanks and military equipment go down streets. I don't remember any military parades that I know of being, sh you know, demonstrations of force. There might be guns and things like that that are part of the uniform. But a show of military force, especially in the United States... We have a civilian government, one of the, I think, the recipes of America that make it the longest, most successful democracy in mankind's history is the separation of powers, is the fact that there is a culture in which our government, our military takes, our generals take orders from a civilian politically elected government, and they don't ask any specific changes to those orders they take them and we fulfill them as our commander-in-chief wants and we always have difficulty there's been political difficulties etc but that stratification of orders is something that is so unique to america so 
if you're going to have a parade, President Trump, it should be a humble one. The iron humility of the U.S. military, the iron humility of the U.S. military is is unbelievable. And I don't want to see that culture begin to change. That culture in which there begins to be a comfort in demonstrating force on our soil. The American military is about foreign protection. Our National Guards in the states protect each state. and and uh, uh, But when you talk about the right to bear arms, that Second Amendment, the main intention was to protect us from our government. So, and yet, the left that wants to reject that Second Amendment now is all in arms about a parade. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't believe we should have a random parade with deep shows of force because it just seems un-American to me. It seems un-American. And as the son of Syrian refugees that escaped in the 60s, a government, a society in which the tanks would roll down the streets every month or two, saying, heralding a change of government in which you said, if you don't listen to this, it's a sort of an or else. They were often bloodless coups, meaning nobody fought back. But how can you as a citizen fight back against tanks and jets and other things? That just doesn't happen. Unless we see now it has happened and look at the hundreds of thousands that have died. Chemical weapons being used against them paying the ultimate price. So this is something we should always have in our vision. Something we should always have in our vision as we see what we are and what we are not going to do. Because otherwise, that slow erosion of what it means to be American can start to slip into other cultures that are not democratic, that are not republics, that are not constitutional republics. It won't happen with one parade, but it can happen slowly. And there's so many examples of that. So thank you for giving me that leeway, allowing me that discussion. I'm not one of these that says it's a choice between being either pro-military or anti-parade. There, there is no, there's no binary choice there. Uh, I, I think we should celebrate our our military that uh, should be honored every day, and especially on the holidays in which you recognize them. But random parades, especially large amounts of force, let's think twice about that. And, and not to mention a lot of a lot of pundits have been talking this week about the cost. In 1991, President Bush Sr. had a very appropriate parade that that recognized that recognized uh, the victory in Persian Gulf War One, Desert Storm. That was on return from a major victory. I think that makes sense. They said that was twelve million dollars at the time. So the cost, maybe we should use that into the Veterans Administration, into uh, families of uh, wounded military or other things. So. Uh, let's look at the cost too. What do we get out of that? Thanks for giving me this time. Can't wait to talk to you next week. Stay strong. And we will defeat our enemies and advance liberty. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.